The goal of the No Surprises Act, passed by congressional lawmakers in December 2020, is to help consumers avoid unexpected medical bills when they receive care from out-of-network providers. The law also established a novel arbitration process for providers and payers. It's called the Federal Independent Dispute Resolution, or IDR, process. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Monday, January 29th. Thanks so much for joining us. Since April 2022, payers and providers have been able to have out-of-network payment disputes assessed and settled by an independent arbitrator. But how has this process fared so far? Joining me on today's episode to discuss more about how the IDR process has worked, and in some cases faltered, is Matthew Fiedler, Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution. Here's our conversation. So the Federal Independent Dispute Resolution process has been in effect since April 2022. It has definitely faced challenges along the way, which we'll get to in just a minute. But is the IDR process working as it's intended to or not? So I think it's fair to say that early experience with IDR has been sort of a mess. And I think there's there's really two distinct types of problems we've seen so far. One is really just with the mechanics of the process. It's taking a long time to get cases through the system. We're seeing lots of ineligible cases end up in IDR and so on. And that those all have a bunch of causes, you know, volumes higher than the agencies uh, implementing the law had predicted. There've been a bunch of lawsuits from provider groups challenging how the agencies are implementing the law um, that have necessitated sort of pausing the process at various points. And then there are problems in how providers and insurers are exchanging information leading into the process. Um, but what's worrying me more, and, and probably you can talk a little bit more about this, is that we're seeing very high volumes and then some patterns in how arbitrators are deciding cases that lead me to suspect that arbitration volumes are going to remain high for some time. And since IDR involves substantial administrative costs, right, each case that goes to IDR involves you know hundreds of dollars in fees that the parties have to pay you know not to mention the the actual effort they need to invest in you know putting together their offer to the arbitrator and responding to inquiries from the arbitrator and so on and so so forth that means we're going to end up with a system you know for resolving these payment disputes that's just like going to add a lot of in my view fairly needless administrative cost let's break that all apart starting with the volume Federal agencies originally estimated that the IDR process would field less than around 18,000 disputes a year. And that estimate was way off. You know, according to a recent Government Accountability Office report, there were around 490,000 disputes filed between April 2022 and June 2023, with about 61% of those disputes remaining unresolved by the end of last summer. So can we talk more about what happened with the volume? So, I, you know, I think, frankly, the agency's estimate was a little bit of a shot in the dark. You know, they hadn't operated a t system like this before, and they they just really didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, I think there are some, some people have made arguments that they should have been able to look at some of the state systems and the types of volume that existed under the state systems and make a better prediction than they made. But, you know, they didn't, and here we are. I, on the, at the same time, I think that problem is ultimately going to work 
work its way out. Arbitration capacity is going to ramp up, and the sort of you know the the problems the system is having having coping with that type of volume are going to go away. My concern, though, is that the volume is going to just stay really high. And so even if the system is like successfully processing that many cases, processing that many cases just is just inevitably going to be fairly expensive. You also mentioned that the mechanics of filing are causing issues. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're seeing reports that, you know, so, so to take an example. One of the things that the No Surprises Act does is if there's a state law that applies to fully insured plans and decides how payment is is determined in those circumstances, the state's system for determining payment is supposed to be used instead of the federal IDR process. So what that means is that if the provider is thinking about bringing a case, it's got to know, is this plan a fully insured or a self-insured plan? Um, and, you know, there have been cases where I think providers have said, well, I don't know that an insurer hasn't told me that. How am I supposed to know that? And so cases are getting routed to the wrong place. You know, I think other things sort of like that are, there's a mechanism in the law for batching multiple services together. And that batching is supposed to happen at the sort of plan level. So for these purposes, like each employer plan is a separate plan. And so, like, if I'm a provider and I've seen, you know, I know I've seen multiple patients under, say, an Aetna self-insured plan, but I don't know that, like, this person works for company X and this person works for company Y, I can't figure out how to batch the disputes. And so I think we've seen, you know, cases where disputes are being batched improperly, again, purely because the provider just, like, doesn't have the information they need to do it right. And so I think that, you know, back in the fall, the administration issued a proposed rule that was aimed at trying to smooth some of this information exchange. And I think, you know, some of those types of problems are probably going to be transient and ultimately get worked out. But they've they've certainly been a problem um, in the early period here. So you've touched on this in many of your answers so far, but let's look at the costs. There are administrative fees associated with the process, which of course have been challenged in court, but given the volume of disputes, how costly is this overall? And really, how is it impacting the process? Yeah, so I mean, if you tally up, if volume stays at close to current levels and fees stay in the ballpark of current levels, you know, we're going to be talking about hundreds of millions of dollars a year in just in fees um, before we even consider, you know, the costs that the parties are incurring to actually engage in the process. And so, you know, on some level, several hundred million dollars is, is not that large on the scale of the healthcare system, but it's several hundred million dollars that in my view is accomplishing very little. Um, and so it's sort of you know, galling to be sending that, setting that money on fire. Sure. In the grand scheme of how much we spend on healthcare and how much healthcare really accounts for the GDP, it might not be that much. Uh, but is there a deterrent aspect to these fees? Was the thought that there would be a push for payers and providers to settle a dispute before even getting to the IDR process? Yeah. Right. So the hope was that the way the system would work is that IDR wouldn't end up being used very much. And the idea was that providers, insurers would pretty quickly get a shared picture of what's likely to happen if a case goes to arbitration. And if, you know, a provider and insurer think, 
you know, have roughly the same sense of what's going to happen if the case that they're arguing over goes to arbitration, then like they have a good reason just to say, okay, we'll strike a deal near to what we expect to happen in arbitration and avoid all the fees and hassle that comes with arbitration. And so in that world, arbitration like maybe is used a bunch initially as parties learn about the process, but then volume falls off pretty quickly. And, you know, the costs aren't that bad going forward. One of the things that like worries me and leads me to suspect the volume is going to remain pretty high for a long time is just that we're seeing wide variation in how different arbitrators are making decisions, even in cases that have seemingly very similar facts. And so that's going to make it much harder for providers and insurers to get a sort of shared picture of what is likely to happen in arbitration. And so you're going to have lots of cases where, you know, the provider thinks if it goes to arbitration, it's going to do really well. And the insurer thinks if it goes to arbitration, it's going to do really well. And so you end up in arbitration, incurring all the administrative costs, rather than in a scenario where arbitration is sort of this, this default that no one, um, you know, really ends up using. There have been a lot of legal challenges to the IDR process, which has resulted in it being paused, then resuming, paused again, parts resuming, other parts resuming later, ad nauseum. Has this undercut the process? So I think it's certainly true that the sort of litigation, you know, some of the mechanic mechanical problems with the process we've talked about, the litigation has not been helpful um, in that regard, right? The, the stop-start has just been a real challenge. And I think, you know, that will eventually get resolved, but it's going to take some time. And in the meantime, things are going to be rockier than they need to be. I do think the substance of the litigation has exacerbated some of the sort of more fundamental problems um, I focused on. So like one of the big things that these lawsuits have been challenging is, you know, the, the agencies initially issued a fairly robust set of guidance to arbitrators on how they're supposed to take the sort of fairly vague statutory factors and use those factors to make decisions in any particular case. And that guidance was what one of the things that was thrown out by a judge in this litigation. And so I do think that has put us in a world where it's much more of a wild west in terms of how different arbitrators are making decisions, even with very particular facts. And I think it, you know, makes it more likely that we're in in this scenario where the parties really can't, you know, figure out what's going on in arbitration. And so we end up with very high arbitration volumes uh, for a sustained period. What should policymakers take away from all of this? So, I mean, my big piece of advice would be if you're trying to do something like this in the future, don't use an arbitration system. Um, that I think a lot of what we're seeing is just an unavoidable feature of this type of system. And there are alternative ways of resolving payment disputes um, in these cases, particularly just the sort of benchmark payment rate approach that was considered um, during the congressional debate. So that's one. I think if you feel for whatever reason you have to use an arbitration system, then it's really important to provide very specific and concrete guidance to arbitrators um, in hopes of making decisions more predictable and consistent, um, in hopes that that in turn would you know lead to the IDR, the IDR or other arbitration process being, being used less um, than this one seems on track to be. 
So Matt, before I let you go, let's take a big picture look at the No Surprises Act. Its intended goal has been to shield patients from unexpected health care bills. In your view, is the law working as it's intended to on that front? So the consumer-facing parts of the law, I would say, by and large, are achieving what they set out to do, right? When patients receive out-of-network emergency care or care from an out-of-network clinician at an in-network facility, the insurer can now apply only network cost sharing and the provider can't balance bill the patient. Um, and everything I've seen suggests that those protections are generally you know, functioning the way they were supposed to. And so to the extent that one of the big goals of the law was just to sort of take the patient out of the middle of these disputes, I think the law has basically accomplished that. I think there are some exceptions to that. So like one big gap in the law was um, ground ambulance services weren't included in the scope of the law. They are, you know, a case where, you know, a person can end up receiving services from an entity they didn't choose because um, they you know get on the ambulance that comes to them they don't sort of shop around for an ambulance um and so that is a gap and you know one that the policymakers may need to come back to at some point but i would say the consumer facing parts of the law are, are basically accomplishing uh, what they set out to accomplish that was Matthew Fiedler, senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. He joined me to talk about how the federal independent dispute resolution process has worked since it went into effect in April 2022 as part of the No Surprises Act. This has been Just Healthcare Daily from Kaufman Hall. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. It helps other listeners find the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with the latest healthcare business and policy news, as always, in 10 minutes or less. In the meantime, you can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at justhealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist.